But all this to say that no matter how much we desire it, no matter how much we are wanting it, no matter how much we try to obtain it, we can never be truly independent in this world or in the next either. And on top of that statement, I dare say that trying to be independent, entirely independent, is a very dangerous path to walk on. So if you are able to, I, turn, I ask you to turn to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13, and we'll just be reading two verses out loud together. And we'll be reading verse 13 and 14. So if you are able to, may I ask you to stand as we read these two verses from 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel 13, 13 to 14. <clears throat> and Samuel, uh, sorry, uh, let's begin. <laughs> and Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. You may now take your seats. Just recently, I was able to finally move into kind of my own office space here at the church, and it's near the front. It has my title on the door there, Sleeping Baby. But that change in the office, for me, was very reminiscent of when I got my own bedroom for the very first time in my life. In our old house in Fleetwood, uh, the, the six of us in my family, we shared three bedrooms. So two people per room. Uh, obviously, my parents had the master, my sisters in the second, and my brother and I were assigned to the third. Now, I don't know how this happened. I don't know what type of persuasion tactics they used, but a couple months later, somehow my sisters ending, ended up getting a room each. So now my parents have a room. Both my sisters have a room. My brother got kicked to the basement, and I was left kind of as a wandering vagabond, you could say, in our household. I didn't have a room for myself. And so I just, for the next couple years, like eight or nine years, I just kind of slept anywhere in the house that I could, the living room, the basement, or whatever else. I didn't really mind not having a room. But when we finally moved to Alder Grove in 2019, that was the first experience that I had of fully having an own room for myself. Now, there's a lot of reasons why it's nice to have my own room. One of the biggest things is I like having a clean environment around me, and if you have your own space, you can take care of it better. But one of the biggest reasons of why it's so nice to have your own room is that it gives a, a feeling of independence. And even if I'm not that independent yet in this stage of my life, that, uh, that room gave me the sense of feeling that I was a little bit independent. Now, for a majority of people, independence is something that we all look forward to, especially when we were children and teenagers. As children, after we learn how to read, after we learn how to write, run, and do basic skills, we gain a little more independence. We don't have to be reliant on our parents as much. And that little taste of independence makes us hungry for even more, for total independence. As we transition into the teenage life, we look forward to getting our own jobs. We don't look forward to the job itself, 
But we look forward to getting our own money so we can buy our own food, we can buy our own clothes, we can buy our own gadgets, we can save up money and buy things that we want to buy. As a teenager, we look forward to getting our license and, and getting our first car so that we can go to the places that we want to go to without asking our parents or our, our siblings for a ride, without having to be dependent on the bus or the sky train that frequently goes out of order the moment it starts snowing. We look forward to moving out and getting our own apartment and getting a place that we can call our personal home and we can start decorating it as we see fit. We can start uh, feeling like a sense of individuality there. Today, there are many who want to start their own businesses so that they are no longer dependent on any employer, no longer dependent on any company. There's a big appeal to being an entrepreneur to run your own business because you can spend your time however you want. You don't have to be bound by the nine to five cycle. You can spend, you can stay, stay up as long as you want. You can wake up uh, late into the, the morning. And that's the appeal of the entrepreneur life. And that entrepreneurial attitude that is honestly just fueled by that desire for independence has been quite popular these days. Now, again, the topic of my sermon is not, you know, bashing entrepreneurial, uh, that, that lifestyle. But all this to say that no matter how much we desire it, no matter how much we are wanting it, no matter how much we try to obtain it, we can never be truly independent in this world or in the next either. And on top of that statement, I dare say that Trying to be independent, entirely independent, is a very dangerous path to walk on. Now we know that there is only one truly independent being in our universe. And who is that? It's God. There's only one truly independent being in this universe, and that is our Creator. As humans, whether you are an agnostic, atheist, Sikh, Hindu, uh, a Buddhist, or a Christian... Whether you deny it or not, our, our, our continual existence is dependent on the Creator. He allows us to live another day. So we will always be dependent on God. Now as a Christian though, what I wanted to point out this uh, evening is that there are dangers and pitfalls that are caused by us severing our, our dependence on the Creator. And we're, we're going to see this clearly from the example of King Saul, the man who sought to be independent from God. Let's open a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for all the life principles that we can learn from your word. And I just pray at this time that you enable me and empower me to preach your word. Pray that you give the congregation understanding and a heart that is not distracted by the things of this world or by their responsibilities, but a heart intent on listening to your word being preached. So I just pray that we would just have a good remainder and time of worship tonight here at the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now Saul was the, the first king of Israel. We know this. And in the beginning of Saul's reign, he looked quite promising. Now appearance-wise, Saul was a perfect fit to be a king. Uh, the Bible describes him as being a, a guy that was taller than everybody else. So in terms of his stature, he already had kind of a, a kingly appearance, you could say. He just stood out from the crowd. He was heads above all the other Israelites. And not only that, the Bible describes him as a choice young man. And some have meant this to say that he was a very handsome man. So we have a tall, handsome king in Saul. Physically speaking, he, had, he looked like the image of a king. 
Maybe that's why Israel loved him so much in the beginning. If you were to rate Saul as a secular king, Saul wouldn't be considered bad. In light of secular history, if you look at all the kings and all the leaders that have lived, Saul wouldn't be that bad. There are guys like Joseph Stalin or Hitler or Vlad. All of these guys are leaders who are much more wicked in in comparison to Saul. So Saul, in in a secular sense, wouldn't be considered bad. In matter of fact, if you look at his accomplishments, he is somewhat impressive. He led Israel's army when it was still comprised mostly of volunteers. It was just a ragtag group of men who was trying to fight uh, against the neighboring countries. And he was able to lead them to win battle after battle. And as a military, military leader of a very ragtag crew, Saul was quite capable. But the more success Saul gained as a king, the more we start to see a, a change in, in Saul's character. And the first notable instance of this change surfacing is found in our text passage of 1 Samuel 13. And just follow along with me as, we, as I read these few verses. And I'm going to be starting on verse 8. And it says here, And he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And this is where we pick up the text passage that we read in the beginning. And Samuel said to Saul, because of his actions, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So after an extended season of victory for Saul, it seemed that his his ego, his pride, has been puffed up. From long ago in their history, it's been established that there were certain things that only the priests were allowed to perform. Only the priests were able to do. An offering, the burnt offering, was one of those duties exclusive to the priest. No matter how great you were in Israelite society, you were not worthy of making that offering. And because Samuel was nowhere to be found in this story, Saul started to get impatient. And Saul eventually reasoned out that he was worthy to perform the offering himself. And I understand there were external factors that influenced Saul to make this rash decision. Obviously, the Philistines were upon them, and they were about to be pounced on. So time was of the essence in a way. But nevertheless, at the end of this action, is he thought himself worthy of making that burnt offering. He chose to do it his way, rather than doing it the way that God prescribed. Now, if this was the only instance of Saul disobeying God, I think he would have been forgiven and pardoned. 
But turn with me in 1 Samuel 15. Saul would commit another blunder not too long after he commits the first. And in this story, Saul was commanded to utterly destroy Amalek and to spare no one, not a single person nor a single animal. To annihilate essentially the entire city, spare nothing, spare no animal, spare no living creature in Amalek. But what did Saul do? Look, at, look with me in verse 9. This is what Saul did in response to that command. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and Agag was the king, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So with that command given to him, what did Saul decide to do? He decides to spare the king, and he decides to spare all of the animals that had potential to help the country of Israel. Saul blatantly, more so than in the last instance, Saul blatantly disobeyed God's command. As king of the nation of Israel, Saul started to act. He started to feel as if he was above even God. And and again, he was the first king in Israelite history. He must have felt like he was on top of the world. Never before in their history have they seen a a guy exalted to to such a state. And it's easy to understand why Saul became so prideful so quickly. And Saul, as you can see from his actions, he started to think that he was above God. And this would be the result of his downfall. This disobedience that he commits in Am- after Amalek resulted in God telling Samuel, it repenteth me, as it follows in, follow with me in verse 11, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And then in verse 12, when, when, Saul, and when Samuel finally confronts Saul about his disobedience, he says to, 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 uh, to King Saul here, um, I lost my thing here. But anyways, he says, For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. There was no doubt in my mind that Saul respected Samuel, respected his authority, respected his office, respected the type of man he was. And to hear, that, to hear those words from a man you highly respect, no doubt Saul's heart was broken. This was heartbroken. He was discouraged. And unbeknown to Saul at this time, this would be the last time, the last and final time he would ever get to talk or speak with Samuel again. Folks, what do we see in this story that I just read? We see a man trying to be independent from God. And because he wanted to be independent so badly, God would let him experience exactly what he wanted. And sometimes that's how it goes. Sometimes we're always wishing or praying that something, for, something to, for God to give us something. And God knows that that would be a bad idea if he gives it to us. But eventually, sometimes, in order for us to stop asking for that specific thing, he makes us experience that and see how it is, it's detrimental to our lives. And this is what he did with Saul. He gave him that independence that he so craved. 
But as we will soon find out, a life independent from God is not a life that Saul would have wanted to experience and it's not a life that we would want to experience either. Tonight, just quickly, I wanted to go over three things that Saul lost after gaining independence from God. And these three things are also items that we would lose if we were to follow in that same path of independence from God. And the first one here is a loss of joy. A loss of joy. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, just a chapter over. 1 Samuel 16, and then we look at verse 14 and 15. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. And then we skip down to verse 23, and it says, And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed, and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. From that point in which Saul decided to disregard God's command, from that point in which God uh, rejected Saul as a king, that marked the, the, that time of Saul's life where he would always struggle with distress. He would always struggle with a, a troubled spirit. When he was doing what God had commanded him to do, when he was right with God and he was in close fellowship with him, God gave him victory after victory, blessing after blessing. When he was newly appointed as king of Israel, the, the, entire, the entire country was cheering him on was supporting him, and it was such a season of joy. Maybe it was a time of continual celebration for King Saul. Celebration after celebration and celebration, it seems like the peak of his life. And people praised his name, and God gave him blessing over, and, and victory over his enemies. But after departing from the Lord, after, this, after getting that independence that he so craved from God, what happens? Much of Saul's days spent in distress, spent in anger, in bitterness, in jealousy. Maybe he seldom smiled after the Lord departed from Saul's reign. Maybe if we were to see Saul now, or if we were to see Saul at this time, he would be the type of person that had just like a, a perpetual frown on his face. No matter what was happening in life, you just look at his face and he just had the biggest frown. He just had the biggest scowl on his face. Maybe that's, why, that's what Saul looked like now. He seldom smiled. Saul lost the joy that he could only get from God, from, be, from being a follower of God. All the blessings, all the successes, all the victories that he enjoyed were from God. And now that he gained independence from God, all those blessings ceased. In Romans 15, 13, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. Who is doing the filling there? It's God. God is the one giving us the joy. Joy is not something that we produce ourselves. Joy is something that God gives. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. Now that He has separated and, and cut that relationship off with God, where is the joy going to be coming from? It stopped. That tap, that, that, that faucet of joy that He was experiencing that outpour of joy that he was experiencing, he cut it off because of his own actions. And in Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the second one is joy. 
Joy is something that comes from when we are in close communion with God. Joy is something that God gives to his, uh, to his children. And not only that, he gives it abundantly. He wants us to be joyful people. And that stream of joy, we cut it off when we try to live a life independent from God, who is the giver of joy. So Saul lost his joy. But in the second point here, we also see that there's a loss of peace. Not only did Saul lose his joy, but he also lost his peace. And turn with me to 1 Samuel 18. And in a way, we're just going through the development of Saul's life and kind of the downward spiral of Saul's life. So 1 Samuel 18, follow with me as I read verses 6 to 9. It says, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands? And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Now, um, when we are in a close relationship with God, one of the things that we are able to do better is to live peaceably with other people. There's a lot of personalities in this world, and a lot of them are not that pleasant, if I'm being honest. There are a lot of unpleasant personalities out there. Um, if you work in any sort of kind of, if you were a, a cashier, maybe you worked in, 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 the, in a grocery section or whatever, you'll talk to a lot of people, and you'll also find that there are a lot of unpleasant personalities. But our, the benefit that we have is that when we have a close walk with God, we will more likely show love to the unlovable. We will likely show long-suffering to those who love to test other people's patience. Because those are things that we gain from just being in a close communion with the Lord. We, we learn to be loving. We learn to be patient. We learn to be merciful to others. Basically, the closer we are to God and the more dependent we are on God, the more peace we will have in, relationship, in relation to other people. But those who are living independently, independently from God are more likely to have trouble living peaceably with others as seen from the life of King Saul. In the passage that I just read, David just finished defeating Goliath. Again, because of God. But David helped King Saul and his army to finally overcome the obstacle that's been plaguing their army for days now. And he was able to, David was able to help them be victorious over the Philistines in this important battle. And when they were coming back into the city, and when all of the people were greeting and welcoming them, and they were singing and, and they were dancing in honor to, to celebrate this, this occasion, Saul hears something. Saul hears the women who were singing. They heard, he heard them giving more praise to David than they were to him. Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. You know, if I was in that position, I would, I would be fine with a thousand, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't even care about what they said with David. But Saul, that, because he departed from the Lord, Lord, he just had this bitterness towards him. 
And he started to become wroth. He started to, became, to become bitter and jealous of the attention that David was getting. Which makes sense. Prideful people tend to get easily jealous when the attention is not on them. When there's another person that gets more attention than them, they get upset. And this is what the case was with Saul. His jealousy and anger towards David was so great that it started to surface. It started to show its ugly head. In the same chapter, in verses 10 to 11, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow. So this is the day after the celebrations came, and they went back to the city and went back home, and, and, and the people welcomed them. And it came past on the morrow. that The evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. So again, David was doing his usual ministry. He was playing the harp in order to calm Saul's spirit. But at this point in time, that, again, that jealousy, that bitterness was brewing within King Saul. And he had a javelin in his hand. And in verse 11, Saul cast the javelin. For he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. So he, threw, he got, had that javelin in his hand and he threw it, meaning to kill David, meaning to kill this young man because of how much he was jealous of him. His anger was so great that he tried killing David. And mind you, this was not his last attempt at assassination either. For the remainder of Saul's life, he would continue to plot to kill David, and he would focus much of his effort, he would focus much of his energy into trying to hunt down David, who was doing nothing wrong. Before, he had a, he had a focus. He was, he was trying to uh, rid the Philistines, rid, the, rid them from uh, oppressing the people of Israelites. But now, he took the energy that he placed on that pursuit, and now he places that on trying to kill an innocent young man in David. That is how the bitterness and jealousy affected his life. Saul no longer had any semblance of inward peace. His mind was only filled with negative and violent thoughts towards the man who Israel has grown to love more. I believe that if the Lord was still with Saul, and if Saul never chose to depart from obeying God, I don't think he would have reacted this way towards David getting praised. If he was right with the Lord, I think he would have rejoiced with David. He would have rejoiced to, to see that David was getting the attention and the honor that he deserves. Imagine a, a nation... Imagine the nation of Israel with, with, uh, with, if King Saul had followed the, the straight and narrow path and if he disciplined, uh, if, he was, if he mentored King David as well. That would have been a good duo. But we never got to see that because Saul decided to be independent from God and it destroyed his inner peace. That's why it's important to walk closely with God because it impacts our relationships. It influences how we interact with those around us. Ephesians 4, 2-3 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you value the peace that God brings about, then don't make the same mistake as Saul. Don't try to sever ties with God and try to be independent from God because you'll find out soon you'll start to get a little bit more restless towards other people. And you'll start to live a, a, this bitter life. And it's sad. People who just have so much bitterness in their lives, it's, it's a very sad thing to see. You know, 
And you can kind of see this sometimes with people, they, someone wronged them when they were a child and they've carried it all the way up to their 80s or 90s and they're still mad at that one instance and they've never been able to live a life of joy because they never were, was able, were able to uh, move on. A life of bitterness is not a good life to, to live, but a life of peace is something that we ought to strive for. And the lastly, he lost his joy, he lost his peace, what else is there left to lose? Well, thirdly, a loss of power. We can see a loss of power in Saul's life. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 31. And we see uh, the unfortunate end to Saul's reign, to Saul's life. And follow along as I read the first six verses. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan, that was David's best friend, and Abinadab and Melchishua. These were all Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. And so Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, that same day together. It's an unfortunate end to the life of Saul. Saul started off as a military king and leader. He fought a couple of campaigns maybe. He helped Israel win some battles against the Philistines in the beginning. But when he disobeyed God and chose to be independent from him, slowly but surely Saul began to lose power. The effectiveness that he once had as a leader dwindled and diminished. We can even see this with his fight against Goliath. You know, I, tr- I truly believe that if Saul was still living right and he never committed those two blunders, I don't think Goliath, I don't think God would have needed to use David to slay Goliath. Saul would have been maybe uh, apt to be able to take down Goliath. But because of his disobedience, his army could do nothing against that giant because none of them were no longer depending on the power of God. And here in his last moments, Saul experienced an incredible defeat in a battlefield that no one really cared for, in a battlefield that didn't really receive much attention. Maybe Saul, because of his pridefulness, maybe Saul thought that he had a fighting chance in this battle. But as the, as the battle waged, as the battle fared on, nothing went his way, and he was dealt a deadly arrow wound. Saul could no longer fight, and rather than being killed by the hands of his enemies, Saul chose to take his own life. This is one of the few cases of suicide recorded in Scripture. Even in his very last moments, and I find this very interesting, even in his very last moments, Saul refused to call on God for deliverance or for just power in general. You know, it's very kind of in in media, and it's kind of a cliche, but when people are about to die, they always kind of look upwardly. They call on God one last time when they're about to face their, their death, 
They call on God one more time. And I guess that's also based on reality because people do that in real life. People call on God. Even if they were never Christian, they call on God. But Saul, in his final moments, even though he once knew God and he had a close relationship with God at one point in time, in his last moments, he refused to even call on God a single time, or at least not recorded. Saul desired independence, and he got exactly what he wanted. He ended up dying on the battlefield by his own hands. That was at the end of the road that he was wanting to go on. In and of ourselves, we are impotent. We lack power. We are the opposite of God who is omnipotent. Some of us may have physical strength. We train maybe outside of, we go to the gym and we have physical strength, but we lack the power to do the impossible. No matter how much you train in the gym, no matter how much you condition your body to do certain things, you don't have the power in and of yourself to do the impossible. Because that power only comes from God. Psalm 62.11 says, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Power belongs unto God and and He gives His children the power to be able to accomplish His work. The power to be able to accomplish His will. If we were to do His work and if we were to do His will while relying on our own power, our ministry will be inefficient. It will be ineffective. And to illustrate this, I take one of my favorite, my favorite weaponry in history, and that is the bow and arrow. Now, an arrow is always meant to be used with a bow. When you, when you launch an arrow from a bow, it, beca- it, it packs incredible punch. It has, it's deadly accurate, and it becomes a powerful weapon for battle, and that's the reason why it was so popular. But if you take that same arrow, and I have an arrow here. I, I wanted to bring my bow. It's in my office, but I didn't want to. I had nowhere to hide it in the stage. But if I was to disregard the bow, and if I were to take my arrow and then go on a random battlefield and I use my own arm strength to throw the arrow, how effective do you think that would be compared to launching it off from a bow? I could have 100 arrows with me beside my side, and if I just used my arm strength, I would hit nobody, and it would pack absolutely zero damage. No one, would, no one would find me a threat if I relied on my own arm to launch this arrow. But when you put this arrow, you knock it on a, on a, on a bow, and you launch it with all of your strength, and especially if you have a, gr- a good bow, you can de- do some serious damage. That is the purpose of the, po- uh, of the arrow. The arrow is not meant to be used you know, like a sword or as a javelin or as a spear. It's meant to be used alongside the bow. They are in tandem. They work closely together, and you can't have one without the other. We are the arrows. God is the bow. Only when we get launched from that bow do we actually have the power needed to accomplish His will for our lives. We can try to tackle God's will. We can try to tackle ministry on our own power, but just like a guy trying to throw a, a, an arrow with his arm is going to be ineffective. It's going to be powerless. I ask you this, are we relying on God to give us that power? Some have said that the frequency of our prayers can indicate one's level of, in, of dependence on God. And that makes sense. The more a person prays, the more someone is always asking God for things, you can be sure and confident that that person is dependent on God. How often do you plead to God to give you more power? And I echo the message that Matthew Henry writes in his commentary. 
the God with whom we have to do, is infinite in power. Power belongs to God. He is almighty and can do everything. With Him, nothing is impossible. All the powers of all the creatures are derived from Him, depend upon Him, and are used by Him as He pleases. His is the power, and to Him we must ascribe it. This is a good reason why we should trust Him at all times and live in a constant dependence upon Him. For He is able to do all that for us which we trust in Him for. We are all naturally inclined to desire independence. But I pray that we would all understand that we should never desire to be independent from God because nothing good will come out of it. Saul went down that path. He lost his joy. He lost his peace, his power. He lost his life. And we too will lose these precious things if we choose to depart from God. And I think the biggest takeaway for tonight is this. We need to humble ourselves. Because it is when we are humble and when we think highly of God, that is the state in which we can become truly dependent on Him day by day. And I end with this quote. True humility means total dependence on God for everything. Thank you. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.